Our scripture reading uh, comes from uh, Exodus, the 16th chapter, verses 2 through 15. Hear now the word of our Lord. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they will bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, ten years ago, on a stage in uh, Cupertino, California, Steve Jobs walked out in a black turtleneck and uh, introduced us to a device that was going to change everything. Uh, It was called the iPhone And um, when I saw the iPhone the first time, instantly my flip phone in my pocket became garbage to me. (laughs) Like the iPhone was sleek and shiny. It was this touch screen. You could move things around. You could get on the internet with it. It was like having a computer in your pocket. It would hold all of your songs, right? You didn't need an iPod and a phone. You had the iPhone, and I just, I had to have one. And at the time, I was working as a, as a dishwasher, um, uh, putting myself through college. And I remember just giving over a whole paycheck to have this iPhone. And it made me so happy. I was so satisfied with this iPhone. It was, it was just like a, a marvel of technology. It was the future. It was a, a Star Trek tricorder in my hand. And I, I was just so happy to have it. I was so satisfied. Until two years later, on a stage in Cupertino, California, 
um, Steve Jobs came out and introduced the world to the iPhone 3G. And instantly, this iPhone in my pocket, this technological marvel, was suddenly a piece of trash. <laughs> because the iPhone 3G had an app store. You could download apps on it. And, and it was three times as fast like the internet had two more G's, right? And so, uh, so I had to have one of these iPhone 3G's. And then I got it. And then I was so satisfied. It was the best thing ever. Until a year later, uh, they introduced the iPhone 4. And the iPhone 4 had this, uh, this, this front-facing camera so I could take pictures of myself. And um, yeah, thank you, iPhone 4. And, uh, and then um, it, it also had a... Uh, it had a uh, this retina display, right? And with the retina display, my old iPhone, like, like I, I'd look at it and I'd see all the pixels, like all the, all, all the blocks, and the retina display was so smooth. And suddenly, this other iPhone was like sandpaper on my eyes, and I couldn't stand it, and I had to have the four. And then came the five. It was taller, and I had a whole other row of apps, a whole other row of apps. I had to have it. Right? And so model after model, year after year, Apple has gotten really good at convincing dopes like me <laughs> that the phone in their pocket that last year was a modern miracle is now yesterday's garbage. It's a piece of trash and you need the new one. This year, this year they came out on the stage, they introduced the world to, to the new iPhone, the iPhone 8. You're going to love this thing. We've improved everything about the iPhone. Now it charges wirelessly. It, it's, 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 the perfect, it's the perfect culmination of all of our years over at Cupertino, the iPhone 8. And immediately, my phone in my pocket was starting to turn into garbage because I was seeing the iPhone 8. I was like, man, I've got to have an iPhone 8. And that lasted for about 10 minutes. Because I kid you not, uh, later in the presentation, the iPhone 8 hadn't even been sold yet. No one had one. They, they skipped 9 and introduced the iPhone 10 on the same day. And the iPhone 10 was amazing. And this, the, the 8, who wants that? That's garbage, right? And, and no one had ever, even seen one an hour before, right? And now we all had to have the 10. And the 10's pretty cool. The whole thing is a screen, Right? There's no, uh, there's no little button. And, and it recognizes your face. All you have to do is look at it and it turns on. Right? And here I, I, I am. I'm pressing buttons like a peasant when I could just be looking at the iPhone 10 and it would be turning on. Right? I know it's crazy, but I kind of want one. See, I'm talking about iPhones because gadgets are kind of my weakness. But I could be talking about your golf clubs, could be talking about your guns, your hunting equipment, your cars, your appliances, your furniture. We're always seeking that next thing. We're always, once we have the new thing that was going to make our life better, suddenly once we have that, we need something else. We're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. And the same is true in our lives. Once we have that one thing that we thought was going to make us happy and whole and fulfilled, something else comes along and we need that. Dennis Prager calls it the missing tile syndrome. It's like this. You've just laid tile on the floor, 
okay? And, and, and you thought you did a good job. You're, you're looking at it. It's perfect. And then you notice, over there, there's a tile missing. And now it's all you can think about, right? I've got this tile missing, and I, I need to get it fixed so, to, so, so the floor will be complete. And so you go out, and you get the stuff, and you replace the tile, and <sighs> you're happy, you're satisfied. And then you look over there, and you realize there's another tile missing, See, we do this over and over and over in our lives. There, there's always one more thing missing, one more thing that will complete the picture that is our lives and finally make us satisfied and happy. Um, I'm a youth pastor, so I spend a lot of time with middle schoolers. And middle schoolers, deep down, they all want the same thing. Deep down, middle schooler. And that is to be out of middle school, right? They just want to be out of middle school because middle school is terrible. Some of you remember that and some of you have blocked it out. But middle school is terrible. It's just like tribalism at its rawest form. And it's just you're, you're changing in all these ways and it, it's, it's just terrible. And so everyone in middle school wants to get out of middle school. Get me away from there. I also work with high schoolers. And high schoolers all want the same thing. They want to be out of high school. Because, man, this whole mom and dad being in charge of my life thing is, is starting to get old. And um, this, whole, uh, th- this whole school for seven hours thing uh, with no breaks is starting to get old. And, man, if I could just get in college, I could just be free, I could breathe, then I'd be happy. But it never stops. When you're in college, like you just want to get out of college. Man, I've been, I've, been, I've been doing nothing but school my whole life. When does my life start, right? And then you get out of college. Man, if I could just get a good job, like, like the kind that pays well, the kind that's going to pay my bills, man, then I'd be happy. Then it's, what, what, what good is all this money? What good is all this stuff that I don't have anyone to share it with? I need to find my soulmate. I need to find, I need to find the one. Then, then I'll be happy, Honey, this love we have together is just not enough. We, we need a family. We need kids. Then, then we're going to be happy. Honey, kids was a terrible idea. We just need to get them out of the house. We need to get them graduated. Then, then we'll be happy. We'll be happy. It'll be just like it was before. Man, you and me in this empty house, and we're working all the time, and we hardly ever see each other, and there's no laughter. Man, if we could just get retired, just be retired, and we could spend all this time together, then we'd be happy, right? Every, every phase of life is just sort of sucking us and pulling us to the next one. And we're never satisfied with the phase we're in. We're always looking for that next tile that's going to make us happy. And so we grumble. And so we complain. And so the spirit of grumbling takes over our lives and we don't even know why. We grumble about stupid things all the time. I came home from Bible study the other night and my wife has the audacity, the audacity to ask me to make a Nutella sandwich for my son William to take to school the next day. I'm like... Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, a Nutella sandwich? You've got to be kidding me. Well, this is a minute of my life I'll never get back. 
right? We just grumble about the stupidest things because we're so unsatisfied all the time. Which brings us to the good book. See, the Bible has us pegged. We talked in, um, in Bible study about how the Bible is a sword of truth. It's a double-edged sword. It'll cut you every time. You know, I look at the Bible and, and sometimes I feel like it's reading my emails. Like it knows exactly who I am. Look at, uh, look at verse 2 here, 16.2. Um, back up a little bit. We talked about last week, the Israelites, they were, um, they were uh, at, the, at the Red Sea. They were on the eve of their liberation. Um, it, it, was, it had to be the best day of their lives. And immediately they start complaining, right? They said, you brought us out here in the desert to die. Was it because there were no, not enough graves in Egypt you brought us out here, Right? And God answers their complaint in a mighty way and, and he parts the waters and there's, there's waters to the right and waters to the left and they go through on dry ground. And then they're in the wilderness. They're finally free. They sing a new song and the very next chapter, they're complaining again. See, they get to this place called Marah and, and in Marah, there, there, there's this stream of water and the water is bitter. And so they're complaining, we can't drink this. We're going we're, we're gonna to die of thirst did you bring us out here to kill us? And so God instructs Moses to put this, uh, this piece of wood in the water in the streams at Merah, and it purifies the water. And, and so they're done complaining, right? They're done complaining, right? This is the next chapter. Listen, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're complaining. They're talking about how great Egypt was. These people that for 400 years, 400 years have been crying out to God, just deliver us from Egypt. They get out and at the first sign of trouble, they're saying, wow, Egypt was great. We had all we wanted to eat. And you brought us here to starve us to death. They're grumbling. I look at that, I see me. Anyone else? Anyone else like that? Just me? Okay. All right. <laughs> we grumble. <laughs> we grumble, right? Um, it, whenever I read about the Hebrews, I think about um, my, my youngest brother's 12 years younger than me. I'm, I'm the oldest. And uh, he used to, I used to have to babysit him, and he watched this show on PBS called The Bernstein Bears. And there was, there was this song, this opening song, and one of the lines was, they're kind of furry around the torso, they're just like you and me, only more so, right? And whenever I think of the Hebrews, I think of that song. They're just like you and me, only more so, Right? The Hebrew children in the wilderness, we like to judge them. We like to say, oh, they saw all the miracles and they're grumbling. Oh, right? You and I have seen miracle after miracle after miracle in our lives. We've seen blessing after blessing after blessing in our lives. And the next chapter, we're complaining again. The next chapter, we're grumbling again. 
The word grumble in this chapter, just this reading we did, occurs seven times. The word grumble. The Hebrew of grumble is lun. Now, it doesn't mean anything special. It means grumble or growl. But I just like the way it sounds. It sounds like grumbling. Lun. Lun. You're really asking me to make a Nutella sandwich? Right? I want you to look at something with me. All right? The Bible has this peg for who we are. It also has pegged what our real issue is, what our real problem is. You may not want to see it, right? This may be a part of yourself you don't want to look at, but uh, you're here, so let's do it. Let's look at um, 16.8, okay? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Right? So Moses and Aaron are saying, you think you're grumbling against us. You think you're grumbling against us, your human earthly leaders. You think you're grumbling against us, but your real grievance is with God. Your real grievance is against the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, whatever you think you're complaining about, whatever you think your grievance is, whatever you think you're, you're grumbling about, deep down inside, your grievance is really against the Lord. Deep down inside, your grievance is really against God. I've worked in church my entire adult life. Um, as a youth pastor and now as a pastor. Now, um, I wish I could say everyone's happy and nobody grumbles, but you and I know that's not the truth about church. People grumble all the time. Sometimes for, for um, what, what seems to them to be good reasons, sometimes for pretty silly reasons, right? But what I've learned over the years is what people think they're complaining about is never really what they're complaining about. Once you start peeling away the layers. See, see, someone in a church may think they're grumbling because they don't like the color of the new carpet. But what they're really grumbling about is no one asked them. They're really grumbling about no one asked them. And then beneath that, it's I'm not feeling valued. Right? I, I feel like the younger people are making all the decisions and I'm being left behind. And beneath that, it's God. Your love and attention is not enough for me. What you think you're grumbling about, that's not really what you're grumbling about. What you think you're mad about, that's not really what you're mad about. You think... You're mad about some misfortune that has befallen you, right? About some things that are never going your way, right? But what you're really saying to God, what what your heart is really crying out is, Lord, I don't believe you have a plan for me. I don't believe you have a purpose for me. You think you're complaining about money. You think you're complaining about uh, about, about not, not having enough. But what you're really saying to God is, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're going to provide for me when the time comes. You think you're complaining about people that have hurt you. 
that have wronged you in some way that, that, that you, you, you can't forgive. But what you're really saying, what your heart is really crying out to God is, God, your grace is not enough. Think you're grumbling about yourself. Oh, I'll never be anything. Oh, oh I can't do that. Oh, I'm just so stupid. What you're really saying to God is your creation isn't good. You don't really love me. See, what you think you're grumbling about is not really what you're grumbling about. And so God, how does he respond to this grumbling? Not the way we expect him to. Probably not the way Moses wanted him to. Probably not the way we would respond if we were God. See, I expect Exodus to end at chapter 16, right? And, and, and the end of Exodus would be this. Um, see that where that big smoking crater is in the middle of the wilderness? That used to be the Hebrew people, right? That's how I would expect God to end it, with all this wrath, with all this judgment, with all this enough with you. I can't listen to this complaining anymore, right? But how God does respond to it, is by appearing, by showing up in the fullness of his glory on a cloud, by drawing near to them, by raining bread from heaven, by providing quail to eat in the evening. God responds to our grumbling with grace. He responds to our grumbling with grace. Why? Why would he do this? He explains it in uh, verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. God responds to our grumbling with grace so that we'll know him. So that we'll know who he is and we will trust him. That's all God wants out of us. is that relationship of trust. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, said you're, in, in the book of John, your ancestors have manna in the wilderness to feed them. But I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. They will be satisfied. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Come to me and you will be satisfied. You see, satisfaction is not about what you have. It's about who you have. It's not about chasing the next tile. It's not about acquiring the next what. It's about who you have and who you trust in, and who you find satisfaction in. St. Augustine wrote, My heart was restless, O Lord, until it found its rest in you. My heart was restless, O Lord, until it found its rest in you. See, Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy us. 
as long as we're chasing the next tile, as long as we're looking for the next what, and we're not depending on a who, we will never be satisfied and we will forever be grumbling. We will forever be grumbling. Whenever we go to El Salvador, um, we spend a lot of time with translators. And I call them translators because that's what they do for us when we're down there. But they're really like the pastors that work at the churches and, and the people that work with the children there. They're really the hands and feet of Christ in El Salvador. They're the people of the United Methodist Church in El Salvador. And when we go down there and we set up like a medical clinic and, um, and a vacation Bible school and, uh, and do construction, um, they translate for us. And um, my favorite translator, um, a guy I've got to know over three or four years uh, who's about my age, his name is Fernando. Fernando is mi amigo. I love Fernando. And um, the first time I ever met Fernando, we were going on home visits. And this is something that everyone on the trip gets to do once uh, during the week. And it's kind of the highlight of our week, these home visits. Um, we, uh, we go in a group of about three or four with the translator. Um, we take these, uh, we take these bags of food with us and, um, and a backpack full of Spanish Bibles. And we go and visit people in their homes. And usually, always actually, always they're happy to see us. And, um, most homes have, have in the corner like this little stack of plastic chairs and, and they pull them out and they welcome you into their home. And we ask questions Uh, of them, you know, um, to learn about their life. They ask questions of us to learn about um, where we're from and what we're doing. And um, and it's kind of a funny way to talk because you're asking a question and then Fernando's translating and then they answer back and then Fernando translates back and then um, you're like, oh, you had soup. For, for lunch, right? And then you ask another question, and you know, um, it's kind of a funny way to talk. Uh, so we were doing this, these home visits, and the last home uh, we went to um, was easily um, the smallest home I saw the whole time we were there. Um, I am not exaggerating, the house would fit in this room. I uh, bumped my head on the tin roof. Um, uh, crossing the threshold onto the porch. And it was made of mud brick, the house. And, um, and the, uh, the porch was kind of exposed cinder block. And uh, we, we called to see if anyone was home. And a 17-year-old girl came out, um, said, uh, said her mom uh, was uh, working in the city. She's, uh, she's a cook at the hospital. And, um, and her, her little sister was still at school. And so we sat and visited with her for a while. Her name was Maria. And so we're asking questions, and the questions were being translated, and she was responding, and the response was being translated, and we were getting the answer and going, oh, right? And, uh, and we learned a lot about her. We learned um, that, uh, that they hadn't always lived in the town they were at, Watch Upon. They hadn't always lived there. Uh, before, they lived in, um, in San Salvador, which is the big city. But she said it was so full of gangs that they just wanted out of there uh, where they could be safe. And, and she said, um, you know, her, uh, um, her dad used to provide for them. And um, one day uh, he was walking uh, to work and he got hit by a bus and he died. 
And so, um, and so now um, the mom had to totally provide for them. And uh, she said, once, uh, once, once dad was gone, um, we were so scared in that, in that city full of gangs. We didn't have anyone to really protect us. And so we just, uh, we just hoped and prayed that, um, that we could find this house um, in a watch upon. And, uh, and so we asked her about what her goals were, and, and she said she wanted to uh, go to college so um, she could learn English and get a job working at the airport. Well, the time came um, to ask, how can we pray for you? That's how we used to, we would end all of our home visits. How can we pray for you? And most times, you know, people, it's kind of amazing, really. You go to El Salvador, people have the same prayer requests they have here. Um, Pray for my brother who's sick. Um, uh, Pray uh, for my my, um, second cousin who's in jail. Pray that he'll find Christ. You know, all the same kind of prayer requests that, you know, that we have. And so we asked her, you know, how can we pray for you? And so Fernando translated, and then she spoke. She spoke for a good while, I thought. Gosh, she must have a list. And, and we, we're kind of taking these, these down so that we could go back to the church and, and we could pray for them throughout the year. And so it's like, got to get a fresh sheet of paper ready. And, uh, and she's talking for a while, and then, uh, and then um, the translator finally translates what she said. And so we asked her, how can we pray for you? She says, I really don't want to ask for anything. I just want to give thanks to God. You know, we prayed for years and years that we would have this house, and God was faithful, and he gave it to us. So I just want to give thanks and glory to God. I've been at this uh, this Christian thing for a while now. I don't know that I've ever had that much faith. I don't know that I've ever had that much faith. See, you and I... We want, and we want, and we want, and we're never satisfied. We grumble, and we grumble, and we grumble, and we're never satisfied. And here this little girl had every reason in the world to be mad, right? She's living in a shack in a third world country. Her dad's dead. She just wants to give thanks. She can't think of a single thing to ask for. She's satisfied. See, it's not about what you have. It's about who you have. It's not about what you have. It's about who you have. And until you realize that, until you get that, until you accept that, you will never be satisfied. You'll always be chasing after the next thing. You'll always be looking for the next tile to complete your life.
So my question for you this morning, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.